Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I trust that you had a blessed Christmas and New Year's celebration with family. And as we start off another year, another year of 2019, I hope that you will be able to not only enjoy this program, but you also be able to learn from it and encourage others to tune into That's Truth on Tuesday evenings here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Oh, good evening, Brother Nathan. As we finished up our last episode from last year, Pastor, we were discussing the Roman Catholic Church. And we have two questions that came in via WhatsApp right at the end of that program, and we weren't able to answer them in the last episode. So I want to start off this episode with them. And the first question is a WhatsApp question from Antigua. It says, Good night. I am from Antigua. What is this thing of the Catholic Church having a militant and covert group called the Jesuits, like their own paramilitary CIA-type arm? Uh, I think if you were to um, go on the Internet (coughs) and do some follow-up reading on it, you'll discover that the Jesuits were started by a guy called Ignatius Loyola, and the movement was basically started to counter the Protestant Reformation and to uplift the authority of the Pope. Uh, today, the Jesuits are known for educational work, um, missions, and charitable uh, activities. But from the very inception, the Jesuits were always involved uh, politically. Uh, there's an interesting book that you could probably get on the internet. It's called The Vatican Assassins. And it's a book that documents fairly clearly. Uh, how they are very, very militant and been very much involved in a lot of political um, disturbances. Um, They've been involved in the French Revolution, involved in the wars in Europe, and uh, especially in the politics in the the Americas. They're deeply involved in that part of the world. Uh, Some people classify them as the Pope CIA, and that is quite a a definition. But remember that um, Loyola was a um, Spaniard, who was an ex-soldier, and he started uh, this particular movement. So there is truth to, to what uh, the person has mentioned, that it is the militant arm of the Catholic Church. And I would like to just give you one quote uh, from um, Leola, who started the movement itself. Let me just read what he said. He said, Finally, let us all, with such artful gain, uh, the ascendant over princes, noblemen, and magistrates of every place, that they may be ready at our beck even to sacrifice their nearest relatives 
and most intimate friends when we say it's for our interests and our advantage. Notice the uh, to get control over the princes, the magistrates, and um, the nobles. So clearly, there you have it uh, from the horse's mouth himself that it was intended to be part politically and uh, in, involving in, in, in states and, and politics. So it's a real thing. It's not just a conspiracy thing. Oh, it's a real thing. There, As a matter of fact, if you read um, David Hunt's book, uh, The Woman Rides the Beast, David Hunt, um, he talks a lot about the, the, the Jesuits and their part in, in different wars and politics, etc., etc. So it, it, it's, it's definitely uh, a lot of tourism uh, about the, the Jesuits. Thank you for that question. Another WhatsApp question that came in from Antigua. As it relates to the Sabbath, I heard many preachers making an emphasis on worshiping on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday. I would like to know your take on this. If you don't worship on the Sabbath, will you be exempted from entering into heaven, even though you are a blood-washed, born-again Christian who has a personal relationship with God? Um, the answer to that question is very simple. Uh, no day of worship is going to keep any born-again believer who is no Jesus Christ as Savior out of heaven. So that's a myth. Uh, we've done a program on the Sabbath. I recommend that you uh, maybe calling and see if you can um, they can give you information on that. But the Sabbath is uh, something that belonged to the Old Covenant. Uh, the New Covenant, uh, which was started with Jesus Christ, just that like the Old Covenant had an old day that celebrated uh, the redemption from Egypt and also the creation. Uh, Sunday uh, is the day that now celebrates the New Covenant, and it celebrates the death of Jesus Christ's resurrection, and it also celebrates the uh, the new creation uh, Jesus Christ and if you read Galatians and Colossians the Apostle Paul makes it very clear let no man judge you in respect to any day it's a personal decision you have to make the church uh, from its very beginning uh, read the book of Acts you'll find it there and uh, from the book of Acts right through to the first and second century you'll find that it was a common practice among believers to uh, worship on the Lord's day which is the day under which he was resurrected so uh, you don't have to fear um, not getting to heaven because you didn't keep the Sabbath. It's a sad thing that that would be a theme that would be taught by people who are completely ignorant of Scripture and don't understand what salvation is all about. Do you have any books that come to mind that speak about the Sabbath and the importance thereof or the importance of that we don't have to worship on Saturday? The, the best book I've read on the Sabbath that deal with it is called The Sabbath in Cri Crisis. It's by an ex-Seventh-day Adventist pastor. You can go online and put Sabbath in Crisis, and you can get it online. To my, In my mind, that is the best book I've ever read that sets this whole thing in, in such clarity. It's a very exhaustive study as well. Or if you also want to listen to the episode the pastor mentioned that we did here on <coughs> That's Truth, we did that episode on January 23rd of last year. Hard to believe it's almost been a year. But you can go to the following website and get the be able to listen to it. Let me give you a chance to grab a pen or something to write with. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash that's truth, and look for the episode called The Sabbath. Or again, that is www.anchor.fm 
forward slash that's truth and look for the episode called the Sabbath. Or you can just go and search that's truth podcast on your favorite podcast provider, such as Apple podcast or on TuneIn. Tonight, we are going to be in this episode focusing on a religion that targets the 25 and under age demographic. This organization has over 5 million followers worldwide in more than 235 countries, and their literature has been translated into over 700 languages. They are said to have at least 50,000 followers here in the Caribbean. Have I whet your appetite? What religion are we discussing tonight? The Baha'i Faith. Pastor, as I was studying this faith tonight, I found several things that really intrigued me or I wasn't aware of about this religion, including how they got their start. Can you give us a little background on the history of the Baha'i faith? Well, the Baha'i faith is a non-Christian cult. It really came out of the Shiite group, Muslim group. It's considered to be a a heresy within the Islamic faith. Um, It really started with a young Iranian uh, religious businessman by the name of uh, Miser Ali Muhammad. Um, he came to believe that he was uh, a divine manifestation. He called himself the Bab or the Gate, and he believed that he was going to be the instrument to bring about a new era uh, in in, in humankind. Um, So he believed he's a special manifestation of God, the Bab, and uh, so he started basically this particular movement called the the Baha'i Faith. So it it started out of Islam, yeah, it started out of Islam. He was uh, a Muslim, uh, so it's a heresy out of Islam. As a matter of fact, the Baha'i faith have been extremely persecuted in in in, uh, in um, Iran, where it started um, uh, during the the revolution, the Islamic revolution. Um, many of them had to escape. Uh, Nine to ten thousand were had to escape, and uh, eventually uh, moved to the states. But uh, even today in Iran, they have to remain like underground because it's seen as a, a challenge to the Islamic faith. But the, the, the core um, concept behind the Baha'i faith is that they believe that all religions of the world are basically fundamentally one, and that God has um, progressively been unfolding His will and His purpose uh, through different um, manifestations. For example, Moses was a manifestation, Abraham was a manifestation, um, Buddha, Confucius, um, um, Jesus, um, Muhammad, and then to the Bab, and to the Bab, the guy called Baha'u'llah. Uh, so all of these are manifestations from God, and God has revealed revelation at certain times, so that in actual fact, uh, the Baha'i faith believe that they are the climax of this revelation that God has been revealing progressively so that what Jesus thought was for Jesus' time. And Jesus was superseded by Muhammad and now Muhammad is being superseded by Baha'u'llah. But again, you can see that why that's a clash with the Islamic faith because Islam believes that Muhammad is the final prophet. They're saying, no, he's not the final prophet. Uh, this guy, Baha'u'llah, is the final prophet. That's why there's such a clash. As I was studying this, I thought <clears throat> back to the many times you've referenced since we've been talking about religions and cults, 
the importance in these new religions, how they say there's progressive revelation, and how yet again we have a religion that is based on progressive. Yeah, that is why it is so important for the church not to surrender the doctrine of the finality of Scripture. Anytime you open the door that there's revelation outside the Bible, uh, you have found yourself in a situation where you cannot in any way debate or discuss um, with these religions and try to offer any final solution because as long as it's progressive religion that goes beyond Scripture, uh, the debate already ends. Uh, and that's the problem here. Again, remember that he's teaching that Christ's teaching was first day. He was superseded by Muhammad, and now Muhammad is superseded. But you, you take some of the cults today. You take the, uh, the Seven Adventists. they got a prophet called Ellen G. White. Her teachings clearly contradict the Bible when it comes to the investigative judgment. That's a myth, complete myth. Uh, you come to the Mormons with Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormons, a whole new system of theology. You go to Christian science. Um, you go to theosophy. All of these are—you go to Swedenborg. Uh, Swedenborg religion, you find that all of these have extra biblical sources of authority. So it opens a Pandora box to all kinds of heresies and all kinds of false teachings. And uh, this is the era uh, today. You've got the New Age movement today again um, that goes beyond Scripture. So the church makes a grand, a, a great mistake if it ever surrenders the biblical doctrine and the, the, the authentic uh, Christian doctrine about the finality of Scripture. We have a WhatsApp question that has come in from a listener in Antigua, and they say, why do they, referring to the Baha'i faith, why do they only target the youth? And maybe, I'll, do you have an answer? No, my, my thing would be, remember that the Baha'i faith really is attractive because it is teaching three basic things, that all religions are one. They teach all humanity basically a one family. And the whole idea is to create global peace. Uh, the whole idea is to eliminate religious conflict. The whole idea is to create one world, uh, one world village. So we're all part of that one world village. The whole idea is then to create this universal peace. So that's what young people, young people are very idealistic. Uh, they they want something that, that, that to change the world, and that's what the Baha'i faith is offering. That we will change the world in our time. There are going to be the the the, the ones that will bring in the millennium, and they're the only one be ready to rule in the millennial kingdom. So that offers young people a, a real optimism, uh, and they're attracted to that. Talk about world peace, talk about unity, talk about uh, inter, um, inter interdependence of nations, etc., breaking down all barriers and uh, creating this one globalism, that is attractive to young people, no question about that. So it's not so much that they would turn down someone from an older demographic, it's more that their message connects the message, with... That's it. The, me the whole thing is, is, is the message. And don't forget that if you get a young person at a very early age, whether you get him to Catholicism, you get him to Baptist or whatever, it's very hard. He, he has residual ideas that no matter how you try to purge his mind, those create barriers. You wish the young people first First, you get this ideology into them, and it's hard to change them. A couple of quotes that stood out to me as I was reading about the Baha'i faith. Uh, this one says, There is no room for anything that divides human beings, including religion. Talking about their beliefs, and it was a quote from their uh, literature. Uh, we're supposed to, in the direct quote, Love ye all religions and races. And then... 
going along with that, the world's religions are viewed not as contradictory or even competitive, but are be to be considered successively updated versions of the same basic religious beliefs. How can you make a statement like that if you've ever re- researched and studied these religions that are opposed to each other? Well, we are living in a non-rational age, whether we know it or not, and uh, we are able to hold ideas in tension, even though they seem to be self-contradictory. That is one of the marks of the what you call the postmodern era. The modern era is an era of rationality, where we moved away from revelation. The postmodern era is an era where everything is about um, a story, a narrative. It has nothing to do with logic, etc. So you can have things that are at variance with each other, but yet able to hold them in tension. And uh, when you consider what he's actually saying, uh, all the core beliefs of different religions, they're so... Uh, deviant and so variant it's impossible to condense all religions into one whether you take the the Muslims or you take the the Taoists or you take the Confucians or you take the Buddhists what they espouse is so completely different from from, from what the other person is saying that you have all these contradictory statements but yet they're supposed to be coming from one God and he's revealing but he's revealing contradictory teachings so something here is wrong and uh, we know what the problem is. We have a great enemy who has, from the very beginning, trying to get worship to himself. So he's brought up all these contradictory systems. However, injecting into everyone some measure of truth. For example, the Baha'i faith believe in one living God. Uh, like we believe in one living God, but they don't believe in the, that God expressed in the Trinity. That's the difference. Again, remember the coming out of Islam. Islam believe in one God called Allah. But again, they don't believe that Allah has a son. They don't believe in the Trinity. So it's not surprising that you would have um, a religious movements um, that are contradicting each other, uh, but yet there seem to be some degree of effort made to s- synthesize all of them because this is a syncretistic movement. This is to bring all religions together, ultimately. And that is attractive. That's really attractive, not only to young people today. That's attractive to the modern mind because the way the globe is going uh, and the way the world is going, people realize that uh, the only hope for humankind is to somehow come together. So they have an attractive message, no question about that. But nothing about salvation, by the way, because uh, Christ's atonement was for Christ's time, but not for our time. It's a new revelation now. See, so you, <laughs> it's amazing um, how people can move away from Christianity and embrace a doctrine of this nature. But it's the time in which we live, because as I've said repeatedly on this program, we're living in a time of biblically illiterate people who no longer are exposed to the Bible in the schools like I was when I was a boy. Uh, and uh, consequently, because they don't read the Bible, they don't listen to the Bible, uh, there's no reading in the home, etc., etc., it seems as though they don't have the capacity to make any kind of discerning judgment as to what they will listen to and how it contradicts Scripture. So if that's the case, if we're living in a day and age of biblically illiterate people, how do we fix that problem? I Look, we've got more Bibles being sold today than ever. But they're like uh, a museum piece. You put it on the shelf. The only answer, uh, uh, like the program you've got here, the you've, you, uh, um, the program you put on Radio Lighthouse, uh, but again, today it's people are not auditory. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't listen and they don't want to see something. 
Uh, I don't know if there's a definitive answer. Um, I think that the church has to expound scripture more rather than tell stories. Um, I think we probably need to do more witnessing and uh, more more, um, door-to-door. I think that is going to be the way to deal with it. But I do not know exactly how you can solve the problem without solving the problem in the home because it's actually in the home where if you could get Christian parents uh, reading the Bible with their families, if we can get that kind of a practice becoming the norm within every Christian home, well, the child from the time he's born until he grows up, he gets up here. If we can get the government and uh, restoring uh, Bible reading in the in the schools, like uh, Bible devotion. I know that some schools do that here in Antigua, but that's what I had every morning. Thirty minutes, somebody preached from the scriptures. They had a prayer time. They had a, sing a few songs. I go back to my old days. Um, a lot of that I got from school, even before I became a Christian. Uh, and I think that that augured well, augurs well for uh, for the, for that time. And I think it should look at it uh, if we could uh, change the way society looks at the scriptures. Something, a statistic that I came across on December 31st, Pastor, which really has changed my mindset on reading scripture, uh, social media. Uh-huh. The average person in the world alive spends two and a quarter hours a day on social media, Facebook, Instagram. That's the average person. There's a lot of the world that doesn't have social media. Two and a quarter hours a day. If you were to spend that two and a quarter hours a day reading your Bible instead of social media, you could read your Bible through Genesis to Revelation in 30 days. Yeah. Look, this thing is a distraction. There's no question about it. Technology has its place, but it's become a distraction. Everybody, uh, I, I tell young people, they're always plugged in. I don't know how we can all be plugged in and God able to speak to us. Yeah. And that's the dilemma we find. Us. Unless we come back to disciplined Christianity, where we actually uh, cut out some time for devotions uh, and spend some regular time. That It doesn't even have to be two hours a day, yeah. 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day in the Scriptures. But that doesn't happen. That's the exception to the rule within uh, Christianity today. And as a result of that, we've got this biblically literate generation we have. Look, even in schools, I tell parents all the time, um, the worst thing you can ever buy your child is the new technology. Get the child into reading from early. Let him get to love books. That's the secret to education. Later on, as he matures, then you give him the technology. But when you give a child five, six, seven years old, eight years, even in, in, in primary school, the tech, his education is virtually um, preempted hmm. because he can't hardly pay attention to the teaching longer because the teacher is completely boring. Uh, the, 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 the amount of frames and pictures that he's seeing, the excitement is not there. The school is the most boring place to be. So he has attention deficit syndrome. He doesn't pay attention because we've created that monstrosity. We've got to change that, but we don't seem to have the will to do it because the Joneses' child have got the latest thing, and, it, and we feel that we deprive our children if we do that. But in the long term, we, uh, we're really robbing them of a real education because books is a secret. And I would, I would throw this out to anyone who is listening. I'd encourage you to take up the challenge that I took up. When I saw that statistic of a, you could read through the Bible in 30 days, I thought, well, that's a, maybe a little steeper slope than I want to go to start with uh, the new year. But I'm going to do half of that pace. And now a week into the new year, it's very doable. Uh, there's some days I get a little behind, but then I catch up the next day. But uh it's roughly 13, 14 chapters a day, uh-huh. and it's very refreshing. And 
to have that goal before me and to be keeping me focused on being in Scripture rather than being distracted by. Yeah, let me just say something to Nathan as well. It's going to take six weeks of doing anything regularly before it becomes a habit. Yeah. And that's the dilemma we have. We have people who don't have the, the, the discipline to do anything for six weeks consecutively. You try for a week, two weeks, then we fall back to the same old system. We lack the discipline as required, but if we're going to do anything and achieve a habit in doing that practice, we have to do it at least for six weeks. You're listening to That's Truth, and do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? We'd love for you to ask it. It can be about tonight's topic, the Baha'i faith, or it could be about another topic. What does the Bible say about another topic? You can call and be put live on the air at one two six eight four six two seven four two zero. Again, live on the air. Call one two six eight four six two seven four two zero, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. WhatsApp or text two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor Murphy, uh, the Mormon belief system has Joseph Smith. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has Ellen G. White. What are the key figures in the Baha'i faith? Well, we just mentioned before that the founder was who's called the Bab Ali uh, Muhammad, uh, Misra uh, Muhammad. He would be the one that initially started it, saying that he is a manifestation of God. But he uh, also prophesied that a promised one was coming. Uh, and it would come after he had died. And this is where um, the guy called uh, Baha'u'llah, um, his right name is Misra Hussein Ali uh, Baha'u'llah. He is the one, and the word Baha'u'llah means the glory of God. He's the one that claimed that he was the one that fulfilled the prophecy that the Bab had made, that he is the the coming uh, Messiah. Um and then the third individual is a guy called Abdu Baha, who is the son of um, uh, Baha'u'llah. And he's the one that took the message of Baha'ism to the U.S. in, in, in 1912. Because after the persecution started in, um, in Iran, um, they had to find a place. And it's when they came to the West, by the way. This then when the movement started exploding. And then after the Abdul Baha, um, there was a guy called Shohi Effendi, who was the grandson of Abdul uh, Baha. And he took over the mantle leadership. And then he died in 1953. And then there's something called the National Spiritual Assembly, who's been ruling and controlling the movement ever since. So those are the three uh, main um, persons, um, Ali Muhammad, um, Abdul uh, Baha and then uh, Shohi Effendi. Those are the main characters that uh, we need to remember when we're dealing with the Baha'i faith. I wanted to share this quote, and this is talking about the second individual in chronological order there, Bahula. Uh, uh-huh. Not only is Bahula viewed as the second coming of Christ, he is viewed as the coming of the Buddha, prophesied by the Buddha scripture. He is viewed as the new incarnation of Krishna for the Hindus and the fulfillment of the day of God spoken of in the Quran. How there's so many prophecies in scripture, so many prophecies in these other religious writings that 
would contradict each other. How do they justify that? Well, look, uh, remember again that the whole concept is that God is progressively revealing himself through these manifestations, starting from Abraham, Moses, Confucius, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, now we come down to Baha'u'llah. Uh, the whole idea that God revealed certain things to, for Moses' period, certain things for Confucius' period, Buddha's period, Christ's period, the Muslim period, and now this new revelation is for the spirit. So it's been progressive. Uh, and he's been progressively... So what has happened then? That you can have revelation that was prior to Baha'u'llah, that even though Baal-Ullah is contradicting what that revelation is, this is more clearer revelation than was there. That was only for that time. Okay. So this whole progressive concept comes up. And he embodies the totality of all the different manifestations. He's the final manifestation. So he's the fullness. Now again, when we talk about Christianity, we'll come back to that and say that the Bible makes it very clear that Christ is the fullness of the Godhead in him. And he, God has spoken to us in the last days through his son Jesus Christ. So the other thing I would like to add to that, they also claim that he is the the comforter that Jesus prophesied in John chapter fourteen that will come. See? Wow! So the he's Holy the, Spirit. yeah. He claimed that he that's that's him. He's the promised one that would come. It's interesting though in the New Age movement now, they are now talking about the one to come. You can see it in all the, the Star Wars and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. The, the one is coming. The whole idea is the one. Is, so they're now projecting this. So the New Age believe that there's one to come that will bring about this transformation of the world. The Baha'is say that that one has already come by Ahula, see. So, but again, um, the logic of embracing all of these different religions and think that they're teaching the same thing, when you examine the the tenets of these different religious groups, they contradict each other. For example, um, Buddhists are agnostics, basically. They don't really believe in any, any, any uh, personal God. You take the, the, um, the Hindus. They are polytheistic. There are many, many gods, thousands of gods they've got. You take the, um, you take the Muslim movement. Allah is one, but Allah is not a trinity. Allah doesn't have a son. All of these, if this is a manifestation of one God, clearly uh, the attributes of God and the character of God and nature of God are contradictory. See? So there's no answer. It is just illogical. It's irrational. But I said today, uh, in the postmodern age in which we're living, we're not living in a rational age any longer. We're living where people can hold things in tension, even though they don't understand it, and they seem to contradict each other. They don't go by the laws of logic anymore. A is not non-A. is no longer true in the modern age. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these coexist bumper stickers that they use the different religious symbols to write out the word coexist. The C is the Islamic crescent. The peace sign is the O. The E is a combination of the male and the female symbol. The Jewish star of David is the X. The I, the dot on the I is a pentagon. The yin yang is the S. And the T is the cross. It was, I think, it originated out of Washington D.C. It's a nonprofit organization trying to bring all these religious organizations together in peace and unity. And my question is: Is it possible for Christianity to coexist with any other religion? 
Christianity is an exclusive religion. Let's be very, very clear about that. Now, I'm talking biblical Christianity. I'm not talking about ecumenical Christianity. I'm not even about Catholic Christianity. I'm talking about biblical Christianity. It is totally exclusive. Uh, the Christian God is a unique God. There's no other religion that views God like the Christian does. Not only is he uh, one God, uh, monotheistic, but he's also expressed in three persons. In other words, three persons share the same nature. That's where the Trinity comes from. Uh, no other religion on planet Earth entertains that concept. Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Go ahead. Thank you for calling. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Uh, Pastor Murphy? Yes, sir. Uh, let us um, use another scenario. Go ahead. Just as the Baha'i, just as we are boring holes into their beliefs and their religions, mm -hmm. let us put the ball into their court. What would you think, how would you think they, how do, would they see us? Well, they would obviously see us as maybe, well... Because, for the, instance, uh, I guess they would say that we are worshipping three gods, which is not really true. Yeah. So, what else, how do you think that they would be seeing us? Well, I'm not too worried about how they see us. I'm concerned about what the Bible teaches. So, I'm not here to impress people and influence people in the direction of loving Christianity. My main job is to tell people what the Bible teaches, what contradicts uh, Scripture, uh... Look, when Christ came on the earth, he said, Look, I, I, did, I came to, to uh, pretty much not just to, to bring peace, but to bring war. Husband, uh, husband be against uh, wives and wives against husband, children against parents, etc., etc. But yeah. there's also a sense in which he came to bring peace, peace through faith in Jesus Christ, which would deal with our sins. But I don't think that I am going to try in any way to get the Baha'i faith to, uh, to somehow ingratiate Christianity into the good favors of the Baha'i faith. My job, and every Christian's job, is to declare Scripture. God, you don't have to defend God. We just let the Scripture speak for itself. The Holy Spirit will use the Scripture to convict people. Yes, but we just got to get the truth correct, out. Yeah. Correct, correct, yeah. correct. Thank you very much, Thank you for the call. We appreciate the question. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Pastor, in relation to the coexist or all religions working together and also with the Baha'i faith, I've often heard it taught that uh, the great whore in Revelation, I believe it's the whore, not the beast, uh, is bringing together all world religions under one umbrella in against Christ and that that is the Catholic Church. Do you think that, again, I'm asking you, I guess, sure. maybe to speculate some, but do you think that the Baha'i faith will play a role in that ecumenical movement of bringing all religions together? I don't just think the Baha'i faith will be part of that. I also think that the Islam eventually become part of that. Really? Yeah, I believe that we're headed to create what is called a global ecumenical religious system. Uh, even the Pope. I've seen pictures of popes going into the Hindu temple, uh, into a, a, a Muslim mosque. Uh, you listen to the some statements that come out of the Vatican. The whole idea really is that um, there are more than one way uh, to God. They just worship God in a different form. 
So I, I think that we're headed to the point where the distinctiveness of Christianity is going to be erased. And the whole idea is that we've all got to come together uh, in the interest of saving humanity. And uh, we've got to understand that religion is what divides people. And I think pressure is going to be brought to bear upon fundamental orthodox Christians who refuse to yield to this kind of ecumenical movement. I do feel that the Pope is going to be the glue to bring all uh, religions together ultimately. Because if you read um, the book by David Hunt, it's called The Woman That Raised the Beast. Uh, this is where the ecumenical movement is, is going. It's trying to create, trying to bring all religions, not just Christian um, denominations. It's trying to bring all religions together. And the whole idea is uh, we've got to save humanity. And uh, we, people differ from us. Why should we let differences separate us? Uh, we can tolerate those differences and embrace and come under one umbrella uh, of, of religion. I think that's where we're headed. If you read Revelation very, very carefully, you'll find that the, the ecumenical one-world religion is going to partner with the political power. She raised the beast with the political power. So politics and religion are going to be intermeshed. Every politician knows that religion plays a vital part in a country, and you cannot bring people together unless you you can bring the religions together. So you can see that the political uh, people uh, will be working with the religious leaders to bring about this togetherness, this one humanity uh, in the interest of, of global peace. I can see it happening. The whole mindset is there already. Uh, it's just a question of how much longer it will take before we come to that, that, that point. We know that the Baha'i faith believes in progressive revelation, but do they have a Bible? Do they believe in our Holy Bible? How do they handle that? Well, the Jehovah's, um, the Baha'i faith, uh, they have uh, their own books. They have their own Bibles. And the chief um, writings are those that um, come from uh, Baha'u'llah. Uh, one book called the Act. Actus, A-Q-D-A-S, that is the most holy book uh, for the Baha'i faith. It was written by Baha'u'llah, and it's supposed to have divine authority. It's the most sacred text that they have. And uh, this is the text that sets forth the theocratic millennium that is going to come. Uh, it's going to be based on taking the principles from that particular book and applying it to rule the world. The Baha'is are going to rule the world in the end. They're the only ones that are adequately prepared to rule the world. So uh, that is their main uh, writings that they, they appeal to. Do they accept the Bible as it is? Well, the Bible is outdated. Uh, it was designed for uh, a certain period of time, but now you've got new revelation which came after Islam came. So uh, Islam outdated scripture. Now that Baha'u'llah has come and his writings have now outdated Islam as well. So they don't really uh, accept the scripture as we would accept it. Uh, they will accept it as a holy book that um, the Christians hold to, but that has been superseded by far more excellent revelation uh, through uh, Baha'u'llah. What about their, their teachings of Jesus Christ? Uh, they would consider that those teachings, take the atonement for example, um, about needing uh, propitiatory sacrifice, you need your sins forgiven. Uh, the Baha'i faith does not believe in original sin. 
that you're born with a sinful nature. They believe that sin is the result of breaking God's laws or God's commandment. But the atonement f- was for then. It's no longer needed now because you're now going into a new era, new humanity. So the whole idea is now that what you, how you become um, related to God is through following the teachings of Baha'u'llah and uh, being involved in social activity, social work, etc., etc., working for this one globalism. But um, they don't see the scriptures as the infallible word of God. Uh, they see it as one of the stages of progressive revelation, which has now been superseded by the writings of Baha'u'llah. This is a quote I was trying to find earlier on. The Baha'is believe what is in the Bible to be true in substance. This does not mean that every word recorded in that book is to be taken literally and treated as authentic as the saying of a prophet. A striking example is given in the account of the sacrifice of Abraham, who was called upon to make the sacrifice that Abraham was called upon to make. And it goes on comparing uh, what the Quran says versus the Bible and tries to reconcile those yeah, two. Yeah, let me use an illustration here. For example, they don't believe in a physical resurrection of Christ. It was a spiritual resurrection. Okay. okay? So they don't believe in a physical resurrection. Um, they would spiritualize the Bible, but again, they believe that the Christianity has been misled because the preachers and the pastors have wrongly interpreted the Bible. So they don't, they're not for the literal interpretation of the Bible. Uh, they would spiritualize certain sections of the Bible. But where it would seem the Bible would contradict uh, the Baha'i faith, their revelation has superseded Christianity. Uh, because you can't compare um, the Bible with the writings of Baha'u'llah. And uh, see, there's, they're, they're miles apart, basically. Uh, for example, uh, some of the things that are taught in the, uh, by Baha'u'llah in this book is worship for the dead. Now, where in the world in the scriptures do you ever find that you worship, you do perform worship for the dead? Uh, also, um, a thief, for example, should be branded. Uh, that you brand animals after he's committed a third offense. You pay $21 for committing adultery in, in his books. Uh, you burn arsonists, a uh, person who um, burn, you burn him. Uh, you're required to marry at least one or two wives. Ba'ul himself had three wives. That's all in his writings, okay? So when you've got that kind of a situation, and then the other thing is uh, every Baha'i is to wash his hands every day, then wash his face, and then set his face towards God, and then say to God 95 times, God is more splendid. Now, I don't have any Baha'i faith that does that 95 times, mm-hmm. but that's required. And when you ask the Baha'i faith, why are you not applying these principles now? This, they say that this is for the future. When the millennium is established, then what he wrote would then be applied to the millennial period. But they themselves don't practice what's required, uh, written by Baha'u'llah. We have a question, WhatsApp question, that's come in from Liberta Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it. Good night. Is it true that Islam was created by the Roman Catholic Church? I don't know anything about that. I, I don't want to pretend that I do. Uh, I haven't read any any document or read any documentary or read any um, articles that would indicate that Islam was started by uh, uh, by the Catholics. Uh, personally, I would doubt it, to be very honest, with you, because it creates a rival 
a rival religious group, but it's always been antagonistic towards Christianity. Islam, remember that uh, Christianity had conquered North Africa uh, um, hundreds of years before Islam started in the uh, uh, 7th century. Um, And then Islam was able to go in and conquer North Africa, then it moved into Europe, and then Charles Martel, uh, Charlemagne, is the one that stopped them from going into, otherwise France would have been um, Muslim today, and then England would have been Muslim, but it was uh, Charles Martel, uh, Charlemagne, that stopped the advance of the of the uh, Muslim movement, otherwise all of Europe yeah. would have been, but that was prevented from happening. So I don't think, and then the, the, the wars that we talked about, the um, the Crusades. Yeah. The Crusades are basically Catholics against Muslims. Muslims had conquered the Promised Land and occupied Jerusalem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And all the Crusades basically to try to get back that land and reclaim Jerusalem. And that was a bloody war between the for, for, for and many Crusades. So I don't think that is. Um, I wouldn't at this stage. I would have. Um, doubts that they would have actually started that. But listen, there are a lot of conspiracy theories about the Catholic Church behind everything, not behind everything that happens that is evil. And I don't I don't um I don't um endorse that at this stage at least. You were referencing that the Baha'i faith would maybe accept parts of scripture but not take it literally uh how do you like when we were talking about the oh, Jehovah's can I just say yeah, something else Baha'u'llah is the second coming of Jesus. Okay. So the, the Bible promised that Christ will return. Yeah. But Holy says that he is the Christ that returned. So he has to throw out all of the documentation of Jesus Christ <laughs> in the New Testament. That's the... the, the uh, there's a mastermind behind all these variant and deviant religious groups and all these different sects. There's no question about my mind about that. I think the enemy is trying to totally confuse the world that people come to the point and say, what's the use of believing? All the different beliefs. I think that's the master plan behind this whole thing, to get people to the point where they're totally skeptical and agnostic about everything that is religious because there's so much confusion. This guy said this, that guy said the other. I think it's a master stroke of genius uh, that the enemy uh, of our faith, the satanic powers, the infernal power, that is trying to create, to prepare the world for his man that will come on the scene called the Antichrist with the prophet that's going to come and give worship to the Antichrist and all worship de- de- developed to the beast. I think that's where we're headed. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program, That's Truth, we are also on Facebook Live. You can search Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and you will see the live Facebook feed. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can either comment it on the Facebook live feed, or you can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp and text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor Murphy, when we were talking about the Jehovah's Witness movement a couple months ago, And I remember having a discussion with you about the fact that it's important to agree upon we're going to look at who Jesus Christ is from the Bible. Mm -hmm. Use that as your basis. If the Baha'i do not accept the Bible, even to the degree that the Jehovah's Witness do, how do you go about witnessing to someone or even starting to explain truth to them if they 
anything they come across in Scripture they don't like, they just say, oh, that's outdated, here's the new revelation. I, I don't know specifically how to answer that question, but I do know that the power of God's Word is adequate to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. What we've got to do is present Christ. Uh, that's all we've got to do. The Holy Spirit has the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He has to do the convicting. No amount of persuading that I can do. Mm-hmm. No amount of logic I can do. I can refer to books. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit has to have the Word of God to use. So let's make sure we share with them, whether they accept it or not, we, we show them who the Christ is, uh, his nature, his character, his purpose, um, his redemptive purpose, um, his substitutionary death, his resurrection. We share that with them. This is what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit then takes that. Now, because a person, when you talk to a person, he seems to completely be so bland and ignore everything you're saying, you've got to remember that many times you sat in a sermon and you give a bland look, but you are being eaten up on the inside in ways that if people can really see what's happening, but you went away with a smile, a laugh, and as though nothing happened. But the Spirit of God used the Word and really, really cut you up. And I think that's what we got to understand. The power of the Word of God must never be under. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the sun, the soul, and spirit, and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's trust God's Word and give out God's Word and let the Holy Spirit use the Word to accomplish its purpose. We have a WhatsApp question that has come in from a listener in Antigua. The Baha'i faith sounds a lot like what Nimrod did in the plain of Shinar. That theosophy and I'm going to do my best with these words Zetegetist movement are all the ways Satan uses to numb and confuse persons from the gospel and the cross of Christ. Are these movements what Jesus foretold of that the false Christ and teachers and Apostle Paul warned of in Timothy and also Thessalonians? Precisely. Our Lord warns us, if you read Matthew chapter 24 very carefully, there's one word that he keeps repeating again and again. It's the word deception and deceive. Four different times in Matthew chapter 24, he warns that this is going to be the chief characteristic of the end time, deception. And uh, Paul talks about seducing spirits coming, doctrines of demons. And uh, clearly, the pathway is being prepared for the final um, terminal individual to come who will claim to be the Christ that the world will go after. This world is being prepared uh, for the Antichrist to come. He mentioned Nimrod, who was the first one that started to bring about this, this bringing every religious movement together, uh, etc. So it's in line with that same ideology of bringing all religions together. But you see, this is attractive because we are, we are being taught that we are divisive if we are different. And the whole idea is to bring everybody together. That's not the biblical teaching. Our Lord made it very clear. I came as a sword. I, I, I came to bring peace to men through faith in, in my substitutionary death. But ultimately, I also came to bring division because people will be divided over me. And people were divided in during his time, still divided. Christianity is an exclusive religion. It's not inclusive. It makes statements that there's only one way to God. There's only one truth. There's only one life. That is exclusivity. That's not inclusive. The world cannot tolerate a religion like that. And that's why um, 
Christianity is getting such a bashing today. Basically, you think about it. What other mm-hmm. religion in the world today is being bashed more than Christianity? Because the ultimate thing is to destroy the distinctiveness of Christianity and introduce what is called pluralism. That all religions basically teach the same thing. Uh, they're from a different God. We all get to heaven the same way. It's like you going up a mountain. I go up a mountain. We go up different sides. We're going to get the same place. That's not Christianity. If you don't come to the door, you're not going to get in. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you're not saved. You're lost eternally. That's biblical Christianity. Thank you very much for that question. Very relevant, practical question. Tying prophecy from Scripture to current day events. Uh, Pastor Murphy, uh, we're going to, in just a minute here, look at some of the beliefs of the Baha'i faith. But real quickly, can you summarize so that we start out with the truth before we create any confusion? What is true salvation? What does the Bible teach about man and how we can have a right relationship with God? The biblical teaching is very simple, and because it's so simple, many people stumble over it. Uh, The Bible tells us very clearly that God made man perfect. Man was innocent. And uh, the Bible makes it very clear that God put man on the trial. Man disobeyed God deliberately. Man became a sinner. Because of Adam's sin, we've inherited a sinful nature, and every one of us know we have a sinful nature. We sin not only because of the sinful nature, but we also sin by, by practice and by choice. That's the biblical doctrine, that every single human being is born a sinner. Now, God solved that problem because by sending Jesus Christ to die in man's place, to die for man's sin, so that man may be forgiven. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole world. What God requires of man today is to admit the fact that he is a sinner, he's offended against God, he needs forgiveness, he needs pardon, and he's willing to accept the free, gracious gift that God offers in Jesus Christ by a simple act of faith. That, in the essence, is what salvation is all about. So the beliefs of the Baha'i, do they believe that man is a sinner? The Baha'is believe that man sins, but not that man is born with a sinful nature. They don't believe in what is called original sin. Uh, Orthodox Christianity believes that because of Adam's sin, he was the federal head of the human race, and that the sin nature is passed on in all of Adam's descendants. That's the biblical doctrine in Romans chapter number 5, through one man's sin all men became sinners. The Baha'i faith does not believe in that. They do not believe in original sin. However, they believe that men sin because when God expresses will, whether it be through Christianity at that stage or Muhammad at that stage or Confucius at that stage, disobedience to their teaching was a violation of the divine will. So therefore, they sin, but not as a sinful nature. And Jesus Christ, what do they teach about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is one of the nine manifestations that God has revealed uh, to Moses, come down the line, Abraham, Moses, you come down Confucius, Buddha, come down Muhammad, you come down to um, uh, Christ, you come down to, uh, there's another one, I just can't remember yeah. all nine in that order, but he's just one of the nine. He is not preeminent above the nine. The preeminent one above all of the others is Ba'ullah. He is the final climactic revelation of God. He is the chief manifestation of God. He is the final Christ that's supposed to come. See, So they demote Christ. They put him with uh, Confucius. They put him with Muhammad. They put him with uh, Buddha. But the, the one par excellence is Ba'ullah. He is the final climactic revelation of God. So they 
do somewhat similar to what the Muslims do in saying that Jesus was a prophet, correct? But not saying that he was God or the Son of God, correct? Same thing the 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 uh, the uh, other other groups would do, um, other cultic groups as well, right? Um, again, you come back to t- take the the Mormons, uh, the revelation that Jesus gave is superseded by the Book of Mormons. So if there's anything in the Book of Mormon that contradicts what Jesus said, you go with the Book of Mormon because that's a now uh, an additional revelation that's superior to what Christ has given. What about end times? What do they believe? Uh, they believe that the whole social economic system is going to uh, a catastrophe, and that's where the world is heading. But it, 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 there's one that's going to come that will finally bring about this, this, this peace, this one that's going to come, this final one's going to come. And the Baha'i faith are the only people who are prepared to rule during the thousand years. They're the ones that are going to be ruling the world during the thousand years. So ultimate peace is coming. Uh, that's their belief. Do you think that, I'm speculating too <coughs> much to say that the Antichrist, who in the Bible is prophesied to bring uh, a peace, temporary peace ordeal between the Arabs and the Jews, that the Baha'i faith will look at the Antichrist as a one who is bringing peace? Not only the the, uh, the Baha'i faith, but I think all the world religions are looking for this one to come, including the New Age movement, even Islam. Uh, they are trying to create a, a, a world stage where mm-hmm. there is total massive confusion because the final one that's to come from them, through them, will only come after this, this massive catastrophe he solved the problem. It's significant that all of them are basically saying the same thing. The one is coming, he's going to bring peace. That is what Christianity is saying, but it's what the Muslim said, that's what the Buddhist says, this is what the, uh, the Baha'i said. They're all saying the same thing. So the world is being prepared to expect the one to come. Remember in the time of Jesus, there was an expectation that the Messiah was going to come. Uh, you take people from the East, come where is he that's born king of the Jews? I think we are creating that same atmosphere today where we realize that the world is headed to catastrophe. Something has got to happen to save planet Earth. One has got to come. So I think the expectation is there. I find it very interesting as you're saying that. It just clicked in my mind that as far as I'm aware, it's the Christian faith. It's the Bible that says that that man is ultimately bad, but all these other religions are saying he's the savior, and that just plays right into end times that all those religions will be unified together. Yeah, the ultimate deception. The yeah. ultimate deception. So that the the whole idea, by the way, I don't want to go into much, but that's where psychology has led us as well, that virtually we're coming to the point where man will worship Man, that's the whole idea. That's why in the, even in the religious movements, we are told that we have a divine spark within us. Um, you take the Word of Faith movement, that we have power. Just like God spoke the worlds into existence by words, we can use words to create our own reality. The whole idea is that we are God in miniature. Can you explain that a little? I'm not as familiar with that movement. Oh, maybe we'll come. We'll, we'll okay. deal with that. Someday. Yeah, that's a movement within the, the religious movement uh, today, very popular, Okay, called the Word of Faith movement, that you can create your own world by using words. Words have power. God created through, through words. He spoke the word in existence. So sometimes you, you hear people say, uh, you say, well, you know, you can have a bad day. Don't say that. Because words have power. They really believe that. That's the movement that is so common today. You can speak, for example, you want a car? Speak your car into existence. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. That is a current movement that is global, 
that is part of the deception of modern Christianity. And maybe we'll discuss that in some depth and bring to the readers' attention, the, the audience's attention, people who are involved in that movement. Because you'd be surprised, there are people in Antigua involved in that movement itself. So it's a, but it's a global deception that's going to happen. The, the mastermind behind this all is, is so clever and so devious and so subtle that he's creating the atmosphere to expect the one to come. And that's why when they come, they will worship the false prophet and worship the beast and worship the, the dragon. Do you have a question? Maybe <clears throat> you're wondering what the Bible says about a specific topic or specific question and you would like Pastor Murphy to answer it from a biblical perspective, give us a call. The phone number is one two six eight four six two seven four two zero. Again, be put live on the air, two six eight four six two seven four two zero. If you'd rather not call, but you want to send your question in via WhatsApp or text message, send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Or you can join us on Facebook Live and comment your question, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Pastor, are there any other biblical doctrines that contradict what the Baha'is believe that you would like to draw our attention to to prepare us for when we are in discussion with someone about the Baha'i faith? Well, uh, there's so many. I mean, where do we start? For example... As a Christian, we believe that the Bible is final, final authority, and that God's revelation is totally complete. Uh, the Baha'i faith would not accept the Bible as the final authority, and that is God's complete revelation. So you begin there, and clearly uh, their teaching is, is different than the, uh, the Christian. You take the matter of God and creation. Uh, God and creation are co-eternal. Uh, we don't believe that, really, that God is eternal and that God created uh, the, the world. So you, you, you take the matter of uh, salvation. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ accepting the gift through his propitiatory sacrifice. To the, 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 to the Baha'i faith, salvation is by accepting the teaching of Baha'u'llah Ullah and by good works, um, it, it, what one does, etc., and bring about this world peace. Um, you take the person of Christ again. Christ is not God. Christ is a manifestation of God. And Christ is not the final revelation of God, as the Bible tells us. He's not the fullness of the Godhead, which the Bible also teaches in the book of Colossians. See? Uh, he is just one among the nine manifestations of God. So you are demoting God. You're undermining Scripture. Your concept of God's eternality versus the universe, uh, you put them on the same par, so that's diminishing God as well. You're creating two eternal uh, existences. And then the second coming. We're looking to the second coming. Jesus Christ is, is supposed to be coming back. And the Bible tells you that how he comes back, when he will come back, and uh, how he will come back. Every eye will see him come back visibly, etc. Again, he's already come in the person of Baha'u'llah. So again, the doctrine of the second coming is undermined through the Baha'i faith. They don't accept miracles. Okay. We accept all the miracles in the Bible. They don't accept the miracles. And then morality. Morality for them is not something absolute, it's something that is re uh, relative and that changes over time. Uh, all of those are deviant doctrines and beliefs away from the Christian. As I mentioned before, they don't believe that Christ was physically resurrected. 
he was spiritually resurrected. They don't believe in a physical baptism. They believe in a spiritual baptism. All of these are contradictory principles when you look at Scripture, and uh, that is why uh, there's no way that Christians can associate with the Baha'i faith in any kind of religious cooperation at all. They're at poles apart, uh, and so deviant in their doctrines. You may be thinking, why are we talking about the Baha'i faith? I haven't heard about them. I was really surprised when I started doing some research. Pastor, there's said to be 900 here in Antigua. That's roughly 1% of the population. And you may say, well, 900, 1% of the population, I may not run into them. But chances are, if you're out there witnessing and having discussions about the Bible and Jesus Christ, that at some point you will run into one. Our goal here on the program is to... let you know what the Bible says, what is truth, and the Bible is the one source of truth, of unchanging truth. One other thing about Nathan, they they don't believe in the doctrine of hell, in eternal hell where people would be punished. They believe in a remedial hell. What does that mean? Well, basically that you'll go through a process of... um, Purgatory? Somewhat like purgatory, Mm -hmm. but you'll become reformed. Not that a sinner will ultimately spend eternity because he's rejected Jesus Christ uh, in in hell forever. They don't believe that. They believe in a remedial form of of, uh, just like uh, somewhat like like purgatory. So, I mean, when you look at all of those different uh, deviations from biblical doctrines, uh, it is clear that we're dealing here with a non, not only a non-Christian, we also deal with a a non, um, a false teaching, false doctrine, and uh, we ought not to embrace these things, and we ought to tell people about them so they can stay away from these movements. I met one Baha'i faith here, a very prominent person. Mm. Uh, they were going to start a radio station here in Antigua. He's actually a Barbadian, and uh, he'd wanted me to do a program like this one. My problem was that he wanted me to be there with a, a Rasta and some other re- religious people to discuss at the same time. And I saw I would end up in total confusion. And I told, you know, I, I never followed it up. But I was surprised when he told me that he was a, a Baha'i faith person. Mm. And he's a very prominent um, uh, radio announcer. Uh, all of the Caribbean, he's a Barbadian. He was here, used to work for Observer Radio. And then I think he's gone to Trinidad. Very prominent person, but he's a Baha'i faith. Let's use that to transition into the structure of the Baha'i faith. How do they evangelize? How do they grow their movement? Well, as I mentioned before, they've got a universal um, organization that now controls the uh, the movement. Uh, but what they do, they have national assemblies and they have local assemblies. But basically what they do, they don't have a clergy like we have a clergy. They don't have any professional pastors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. They would uh, only employ teachers that would go to a particular area and then to teach their uh, particular um, form of doctrine, uh, etc. But they don't have pastors and paid pastors, etc. A lot depends on it. So a person comes in an area and they try to start with nine to form a small assembly. Basically, uh, it must start with nine. I've, that's the second time I've heard you say nine. So what's the significance? Not to sidetrack you, but um, there's got to be some significance. Well, they, they see nine as uh, the number perfection. And the reason why they call it a number perfection is a sacred number because there were nine manifestations of God. See, they go from Abraham to Moses and come down to Confucius, the Buddha, uh, to Jesus, to Muhammad, right down to the to the Bab until and there are nine of them. So that's the perfection. So nine has become a key thing for them. It's symbolic uh, of perfection within the uh, the the uh, Baha'i faith movement. 
um, they have a temple called the Nanagon Temple, which is in a place called Wilnet, uh, Illinois. Um, the architecture uh, is a combination of the synagogue, the mosque, and the cathedral. It combines those features with features because you remember that this is a syncretistic religion and it's trying to embody all of these religions. The whole structure uses the nine as a symbol. Uh, the building has nine concrete piers. Uh, it is it has is on nine pillars. It has nine arches. Uh, the building is in a park where it have nine uh, nine uh, sides and nine avenues and nine gateways and nine fountains because everything for them this like the, for the Christian normally number seven is perfection for them. Baraula, who is the ninth manifestation, is the perfection of manifestation. So that that word nine, that number nine, plays a prominent role um, in the Baha'i faith. It's a very, very significant number for them. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 839. We are broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Thank you for making the Radio Lighthouse part of your Tuesday evening routine. I trust that next week, we still have about 20 minutes left in the program, but I trust that next week it will not only just be you listening to the program, but you will invite your friends and your family to also listen to the program. And they don't have to be just in the Caribbean where they can pick up our AM or FM signal. They can be anywhere in the world. If they have internet, go to www.radiolighthouse.org. Pastor Murphy, I interrupted you. You were going through the the structure or the evangelism uh, basis for their organization. I was explaining to you that they have the Universal House of Justice, they call it. This is the headquarters. Uh, then they have what they call the National Spiritual Assemblies. This is where you have uh, a governing board from a region, and then you have the local spiritual assemblies that's made up of like uh, like a church, basically, uh, kind of a format. Um, but that is what they do. They don't have, and it's more more of teaching. They meet for worship. It's somewhat like Islamic in a lot of their their practices. Uh, they they believe in praying certain times during the day. They believe even in going to their own Mecca, not to Mecca in um, Islamic, in um, Saudi Arabia, but they have their own place where Ba'ullah was buried and where the guy, Ali, that started the whole movement, uh, he was buried as well. And therefore, they they, they encouraged to go to those kind of, um, go on what you might call a, um, a trek to those places. But uh, the practices um, include daily prayer. Um, they try to avoid intoxicants. Uh, they don't drink, get involved in alcohol and stuff like that. They also try to push the reading of their own scriptures, like we would push that. Uh, they believe in heart and work as worship. Now, that might sound very strange, but they see work as worship. You know, they don't make a distinction between the sacred, secular, and sacred, and that's why they, they work very, very hard. Uh, they see it as a, a, a worship to God, a worship to humanity. I know a few Christians that could take that to heart and <laughs> get a better work ethic. <laughs> Correct. Unfortunately. And, uh, and then the other thing is that they, they do do a lot of education. They're very, very involved in education, and a lot of social work, and they put a lot of stress on social justice and equality. Uh, and trying to get involved in bringing about global peace. 
besides that, they have some schools. They have one school in Colorado Springs. They got another school in California, one in Maine, and one in Michigan. Uh, that is basically um, idea of what, how they operate. We have a question that just came in from Antigua via WhatsApp. Thank you to the individual who sent it. Good night. I am from Antigua. Why do so much people want and yearn for peace and put aside the prince of peace who gives so freely the peace that surpasses understanding? Great question. Look, man, man, the problem with man, is, uh, his problem is not mental. His problem is moral. I repeat, man's problem is not mental. It is moral. Man is wants to be autonomous. Man wants to be independent. Man wants to do as he please. He doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. And uh, they want a vague peace that has nothing to do with morality and standards and holiness. That is human nature. If man can have a peaceful world where he can live as he please and do as he, do, do as he wants, that's the kind of world that he wants. Uh, but that's not the biblical um, way of dealing with it. Man's biggest problem, man's greatest enemy is himself. He needs pardon, he needs forgiveness because at heart he's a rebel, uh, he's a sinner, he's hurt many people, including his family, himself. Uh, he's gone against God's will, he's an enemy of God in his mind and in his practice, etc. And the Christian answer to that is that man needs to repent, turn around, come back to God, be at peace with God, and reestablish a relationship with God. Man's sin has caused man to be separated from God, and man needs a reconciliation between God. And man will never know real peace until he settles the question with God first and knows the peace of God, and then that peace can spread uh, beyond that. But the the idea of global peace uh, is a myth that will never happen. There's no peace to the wicked, the Bible says. The only time we'll ever have global peace is when the Prince of Peace comes. And all man's attempts are futile to try to bring all nations together, all people together, under the umbrella, whether it be United Nations, United States, Britain, whatever. It is bound to fail because at the very nature, man's sinful nature, he's selfish, Every man is out for himself, basically, and you cannot contain that tendency except you get a regeneration taking place and a transformation that changes that person's heart, and then that person's life will change. I want to get your thoughts on this quote, Pastor. Are Baha'is Christians? Yes. Baha'is love and revere Christ and his teachings. The Baha'i writings testify that to be a Christian is to embody every excellence there is. I smile when I, when, I, when I hear that kind of a statement. That is a kind of a very broad, bland statement that says absolutely nothing. Simply because this, the Baha'i faith does not believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. The Baha'i faith does not believe that Jesus Christ is God. The Baha'i faith does not believe that Jesus Christ's atonement applies for today. Uh, the Baha'i faith do not believe that Jesus Christ is the final revelation of God. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. If you are wrong about Jesus Christ, you're wrong about everything else. You can never be saved and never come into a relation with God outside of Jesus Christ. So you can believe many good things about Jesus. You can believe the teachings about Jesus. But if you don't believe in his atoning sacrifice and the fact that he's the God-man that unites man and God and brings about reconciliation, all you have is 
theory, and uh, you've accepted maybe some of the, the, the teachings of the Bible, but you do not have real, authentic salvation outside of Jesus Christ and His atoning death. Are there any other peculiar beliefs that you want to draw our attention to, again, to prepare us for discussions about the Baha'i faith? Um, I think I've fairly much somewhat exhausted what I have studied about the um, the Baha'i faith in, in this regard. All I would say is that um, they are anticipating that this world is going to solve its problems. World peace is going to come. The Baha'i people are the only ones going to be prepared at that stage to take over the world and rule during the millennial peace. Uh, that is what they work. They are really involved in trying to bring about this peace, this globalism, uh, this idea of bringing all religions together, all people together, uh, equality, racial equality, gender equality. They are actively engaged in all of these different social systems. And uh, again, this is part of the influence because this is what the young generation is in pursuit of. And um, I think that's why they had such an appeal. So you've got one world, one God, and one people. That is just an essence of what the the Baha'i faith are moving towards and what they're working towards. Pastor, a question that was put to me just the other day, and I'm curious to get your take on it. According to the biblical worldview, do you believe that there are aliens? I am seeing on television... <laughs> Uh, almost every night now, uh, there's a series, Aliens, Aliens, Aliens. Biblically, uh, there is no base to believe in aliens. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, and by the way, I've seen documentaries where they're supposed to have caught them alien, the Americans got it somewhere and all that kind of nonsense. Whoever believes that a secret like that can be kept out of uh, the public domain? That's a myth if you can't even keep some of the best secrets in the world and they're coming out. Uh, so I think it's fairly comical. But again, I think it's preparing the world for what is to come. So how, Because how when, the, when the rapture occurs and we're gone, aliens yeah. took us. I could, <laughs> I could almost see that this is what is being done, that there will be a human explanation hmm. for where have all these people disappeared from. And, uh, and I think that this renewed interest in talking about aliens and going back to even that they were part of building the pyramids and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is being orchestrated. And there has to be some reason behind it all. But I think that we are the terminal generation. And I think that the rapture is much sooner than people think. But there has to be a rationale when people just disappear from planet Earth. And clearly with this, this, this emphasis now on alien ships and so on, and people saying they were abducted and, and so on and so forth, I think the world is being uh, going through a process of real subtle deception to uh, be able to give a rationale for the rapture when it occurs. So there's nothing that you're aware of in Scripture that talks about any other that would justify aliens or would give uh, the idea that there's another race out there besides the human race? When you come to Scripture, it's, it's God, angels, man. You don't find any other, um, and of course the animals, etc., etc., mm-hmm. but you don't find any other order than that in Scripture. We have a caller from Belmont, Antigua. Thank you for calling. Go ahead. Uh, wouldn't that be a plus mercy to the listeners? Good evening, sir. 
I hope this new year, 2019, that we all really get closer to the reality of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Nazareth. Because there's no other truth. There's no other gospel that comes to salvation, right? So they're going to always be the person who say, okay, I'm a Muslim, so my gospel is right. But the good news is salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor Murphy, yes, let me tell you a little thing about what I had with the Baha'is. I had um, some interaction with them, right? Even went to a couple of the meetings, they invited me. I'm one of those persons, right? Uh -huh. People say talking about God, I don't care what you call him, our name, religion, I will listen to you, okay? But then again, when the spirit of truth reveal, the spirit of truth reveal if the person is talking the truth or not. Am I not correct? You go ahead. I'm listening. All right. Okay. Spirit of truth. Now, they have a book entitled, um, it's written by a man named William Sears. Baha'is. This is the main book. That they invited me and they gave me a copy of the book. Uh -huh. I read it. And after I read it, I wrote um, a little booklet to give them to explain the doubts and, and so on of the book. Here's uh -huh. the book entitled, Peace in the Night by William Sears. Uh -huh. That is one of their main books. You ever heard about that? No, I haven't. All right, okay. I'm telling you because I've been to more than one of the meetings that they invite me. Uh -huh. I've been to different religion people that invite me and say, come share my doctrine, I go. Come share my doctrine, I go. Okay. That's why I play, because uh -huh. I know the truth, okay? Now, the Baha'is came in 1844, and the guy who started that name, Baha'u'llah, bah right? Well, the guy was Ali Muhammad. He's the guy that yeah, started it. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. yeah. No, the, the, the guy who started it, but here was the interpretation of the name Baha'u'llah means. The glory of God. Baha'u'llah, right? Yes, sir. I know I'm correct. Because I, I research them. Yeah. I research a lot of religion. And you what now? Everybody, what they say, he, he represents Isaiah chapter 53. They say that. That's I'm listening. Oh. I think we may have lost them, Pastor. Okay. If you want to call back, we can put you back on the air. Uh, thank you for the call. I think he was saying that the Baha'is claim that uh, the Bab... Uh -huh. fulfills Isaiah 53, if I understood him, yeah, what I he was saying. Yeah, that's where he was headed. I just was, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the Bab is, is claiming that he is a manifestation of God, and that he also said that after he died, uh, another one would come, the one would come, and then Baha'u'llah, ba he said that he's the one that the Bab had prophesied, and now he's the final climactic of the nine manifestations. And uh, he fulfilled the second coming. He is the, also the comforter that was supposed to come that Jesus talked about after his death. One would come like unto him, etc., etc. So they've taken um, certain biblical truths and they've meshed them because, as I said, Baha'ism is a syncretistic religion. It borrows from every every different religious group. It's where to embrace everything. But again, um, that contradicts scriptures. We know that Jesus Christ is going to come back again the second time, and the Bible says exactly how he's going to come back. The world is going to see him. Every eye shall see him. Uh, so if Baha'u'llah came, he could not be the Christ that the Bible talks about because the Bible makes it very clear when he comes back, that's how he's going to come back. Pastor, I was reading just yesterday in the book of Leviticus, and oftentimes uh, when I think of like Satanist, I think of the some of their rituals of killing an animal and dipping an animal another animal in that blood and mm -hmm. and but some of those things that God commanded the Israelites to do in the book of Leviticus it's 
a very bloody religion, I guess you could view it that way. Why did God, or even God said, take your right, your finger of your right hand and dip it in the blood and put it on the right ear of Aaron and on the, the big toe of Aaron's right foot? And yeah. why why was God so specific? Why did he give to you and I those things look like crazy, ridiculous commands. What was God's rationale? Well, God is preparing us for the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus Christ will be the Lamb of God. But the other thing about it, and when you read the religion of of Israel, for sure, it seemed to be a bloody religion. But that is ought to impress upon humanity the seriousness of sin. Okay. I mean, how are you going to get man to really understand how serious sin is? Every time an animal has to be killed, you hear the cry of it. You see the blood of it. Hmm. Sin is not something that is to be taken lightly. God wanted to impress upon humanity the severity of what sin is, how much he hates sin. and he has. But we have a way of forgetting, and it has to be repeated again and again to impress upon our minds that sin has consequences, dire consequences, and that the innocent will die for the guilty. And it was all pointing ultimately towards Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's when John saw him in John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, a Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament was pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And uh, it gave you the idea of how severe uh, sin was and what price had to be paid. So much so that even though you've had all these animals sacrificed for centuries, collectively, they could not die for human sin. That gives you an idea that how how uh, grave this sin question is. We take it very lightly, but inside of God, it it required sacrifice. Think about from the inception when a first animal was killed to clothe Adam, right down through the century until Jesus Christ. Animals killed every day, every morning, every night. Yeah. And still, all of that was not adequate to fulfill the demands where man could be forgiven and pardoned until God ultimately became man. That was to impress upon man the severity of sin and that there's only one way of forgiveness. And uh, and again, it also helps to solve the mystery that uh, man sinned, so judicially man has to die for sin. But man is a sinner. Then God is absolutely holy. How are you going to get uh, a holy person to meet? And that's where the God-man comes in. Jesus is both man and God is part of the great mystery that only God could solve. It's, it's the glory of the Christian faith that it, 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 there's a spiritual logic in the Bible that is so clear that one wonders how men can't see it when you begin to look at all of these facts and see that this is, uh, Nathan might say this, another, another thing. One of the best proofs that the Bible is the Word of God is to do typologies. Okay, what uh, do you mean by that? Typology is when you have different um, representations, whether it be an event, a person, an act, an individual, a symbol, that represents what was actually coming in Christ. And all of these things pointing to Christ. Some of them... So like Isaac would be a type... A, a ty- sac- sacrifice. And the the serpent being lifted up on the pole. I mean, when you think about that, that the design of Scripture and the selectivity of what God includes in Scripture... It is like one grand master who knew exactly what he was doing. We couldn't see all that was being prepared, but ultimately when Christ finally comes, we see the glory of all God has done to prepare for his eventual coming. It's a marvelous uh, truth that we see there. One thing that stood out to me over the last couple of days is the fact that, and I know there's a lot of different types of sacrifices, but 
sometimes I fell into the trap of thinking a sacrifice uh, back in the Old Testament, they would just lay the animal there, sacrifice it, it would be burned up and consumed. Mm -hmm. But for a number of the sacrifices, they were skinning the animal they were taking parts of the animal outside to burn it outside the city and then they had a whole ritual of cleansing themselves and then they were also sacrificing the parts that god said to sacrifice it was very god was very careful to give the details of how he wanted things done but not only that don't forget every sacrifice the the person who brought the sacrifice had to put his hand lay his hand on the sacrifice symbolizing that he should he should die, but the animal is taking his part, and his sin is transferred to the animal. So clearly, uh, God is doing the work in, in, through these different animal mm-hmm. sacrifices. So if God was that careful about the details and cared that much about the details, about the sacrifices in the Old Testament, is it safe to say that God cares about the details of my life and of your life today in 2019? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for joining us for the program tonight. We trust that you were encouraged, and I hope you will make an effort to tune in. Join us next week as we'll be discussing another topic, what the Bible says and how it relates to your everyday life. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening. May God bless you and a happy new year. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.